Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Good morning, everybody, and happy Friday. Welcome to episode 13 of The Snyder Cut. I am your handsome host, Jeff Snyder. I know you can't see me because this is audio only. Uh, we have got a jam-packed show today, okay? I only get to talk about the news for about 40 minutes because the last 20 minutes of this show are going to be an interview with the Greener Grass team of writers, directors, stars Don Luby and Jocelyn DeBoer, along with star Beck Bennett from Saturday Night Live, who I know, I've known him Back since his USC days, uh, doing stuff with his his comedy uh, troupe, Good Neighbor, which included Kyle Mooney, who is also on the show. So uh, that'll be a fun interview. Stay tuned for that one at the end of this episode. But we've got to start with the big news this week. The Batman. Casting people, dropping people. Oh my God, what a, what a week for, for this project. Uh, so the news came out, I think, first on Tuesday. Jonah Hill exits talks to play an unknown villain in the Batman. Um, what was it actually? Was it about the money? Was it about the role? Because, again, I had multiple sources saying that Jonah was going to be playing the Riddler. And it has been a weird week as far as you know th- those rumors because Boris Kidd at The Hollywood Reporter backed me up on that. He said eventually they settled on it that, yes, Jonah was going to be playing the Riddler. And then, I don't know, Fleming seemed to contradict that in a bizarre post about Deadline, here's the search for the Penguin is on. Well, yeah, like, welcome to the rest of the internet, guys. (laughs) We all know that the search is on for the Penguin. Um, Anyways, you know, Justin Kroll, I thought Everani made a good point about how Warner Bros. had always sort of lamented uh, overpaying Jack Nicholson. For Batman, you know, he made a ton of money on the Batman, way more than Michael Keaton did. I think they wanted he he was sort of implying that they wanted to avoid that situation here. That you know they didn't really want to be paying anybody more than Batman or twice as much as Batman. Um, and it's not you know Jonah Hill. As much as I love him, he's two time Oscar nominee, and and he has opened movies before. Like he does have franchises under his belt. He's not The Rock, you know. He's not Tom Cruise. Uh, so I get it. So he falls out of talks. And it seemed like, you know, my initial uh, Riddler port had been vindicated. Uh, And then two days later, out of the the blue, Paul Dano. Or Dano. You know, I still don't know how to pronounce his name. I think it's Dano. Paul Dano (laughs) has been cast as the Riddler. I think it's perfect. I've loved this kid since he was a kid. I mean, I remember L.I.E. Um... I came out to L.A., and, you know, my first job out here was to work for Luke Greenfield, the director of The Girl Next Door, featuring a young Paul Dano. Like, I just loved that movie, and to think that he has gone from a kid, you know, playing someone named Klitz to an iconic villain role like the Riddler, I think is really super cool. Um, his casting, I think, makes more sense than, than Jonah. I wish Jonah had stuck around to play the Penguin, and, and maybe that does come back around now. Now that, you know, Riddler's, like, off the table. Like, it's done. Done deal. Paul Dano's in. Um, and by the way, we were the first site to get that up. You know? I had quick, quick fingers on that one uh, when, when word eventually did come through. Um, what else uh, happened this week with the Batman, though? Like, there's, there's so much more to say. I wish I had a, a more time to say it. Zoe Kravitz has been cast as the Catwoman. That was, I guess, the other major thing. Now, I like this casting. I talked about this with John Roca before this broke. Not that, you know, I necessarily had... Her, I'd heard her name, um, but, you know, she wasn't part of that cat... That, that, you know, famed shortlist that came out uh, a week before the news broke. By the way, none of those... People were actually in the mix. Where do people get this information in these shortlists? It turns out that the role was really between uh, Isaac Gonzalez and um, uh, Alicia Vikander, believe it or not. I mean, other names in the mix, uh, I think Ana de Armas had been mentioned. There may have been one or two others. But yeah, it sounded like it was pretty close between Zoe and Isa. <sighs> Zoe Kravitz. I think, you know, like I was talking about with Roka, Catwoman does need to have a certain sexiness. And I, and I actually do prefer Zoe to pretty much everybody else who we had discussed on that, that prior episode. You know, I think she's a decent actress. She hasn't really wowed me in anything. 
not that I need the actress who plays Catwoman to have wowed me, but if it is true that Vikander was close to this role, like that would have been kind of interesting. Part of me even wondered when Jonah Hill ended up, you know, passing or whatever, that it was like, man, if they had gotten Vikander, does that make the project that much more appealing? Like Vikander, Pattinson, Jonah Hill, those are some serious actors. I don't know that I'd put Zoe Kravitz on that level yet. I'm willing to be proven wrong, and I and I am looking forward to her take on Catwoman. Um, but yeah, if it is true that that Vikander was in the mix, then that's that's a curious choice. Um, what else about the Batman? I don't know. Like, I, I, I like the way Dan, Dana really did change my feelings about it. Like, a Pattinson, Kravitz Hill kind of would have been all over the place, it feels like. Pattinson, Dano together, that makes a bit more sense, you know, if, if the Riddler is indeed the, the main antagonist in the film, which is, you know, what I've heard. I'd also heard, though, that there weren't as many villains as people were sort of making it out to be. Uh, maybe it's just that you know a couple of the villains only have a scene or two. Um, is that it for? I guess that's it. We can move on. We can move on from the Riddler, right? I just I thought I just I, you know, I keep coming back to that Fleming thing where he's like, make no mistake, like these actors were not up for the same role. Like that's not what I hear. I think Paul Dano was a great Plan B. I think it, you know Jonah had been in talks for so long that there was obviously the chance for things to go awry. Um, and so I'm sure that Paul Dana was, was waiting in the wings and that's why the deal happened so quickly. And, and, you know, but I, I'm telling you, if Jonah was, if Reeves really did want Jonah to play the penguin and he was fighting tooth and nail to play the Riddler, that tells me something. It tells me that the role of the Riddler could be awesome, could be special. And, and like I said, when I did that initial story about Jonah playing the Riddler, it is tough to to step into the shoes of, of Danny DeVito. Like that is, I om- it's funny. I almost wrote iconic villain role of the Riddler yesterday, and yet I don't know that the Riddler is in fact an icon. You know, like the Penguin is though. The Penguin and that performance is. I, I suppose the Riddler is an icon as far as the character goes, but on the big screen, you know, where he's only been really been played by Jim Carrey, I'd have to say no. Uh, and yet the Penguin is, and, and so that is an iconic role, and I think it would have been tough for Jonah Hill to step into those shoes. It would have been a lot easier for him to put his imprint and his stamp on on the Riddler and to own that role sort of in the minds of you know pop culture fans everywhere to sort of hijack that from, from Jim Carrey. Uh, anyways, didn't work out. We got Paul Dano. I'm thrilled. I like the way that this is headed. Big win for the Batman. Moving on, Doctor Strange has brought in Jade Bartlett to write the script. I don't know if Jade is going to be getting uh, solo credit or if she's going to be writing alongside Scott Derrickson, who obviously co-wrote the first film with uh, with Massaworm, Robert Cargill, and uh, and John Spates. This is you know another example of, of Marvel taking a chance on on a young uh, fe- female filmmaker, female storyteller. Um, she was, you know, a blacklist scribe with a Miller's girl. I'm trying to think. I feel like I swear to God, I think, right. That was the the, right. Seth Rogen's producing that movie because I could have sworn I'd heard Seth Rogen was going to star in that movie once upon a time. Um, but yeah, so she wrote this blacklist script, then universal and DeLuca, bought, uh, you know, hired her to do uh, mad, bad and dangerous to know, which this never came out by the way. This is a years old sort of thing, but I I do remember rumors that Taika Waititi was flirting with mad, bad and dangerous to know. Maybe that's how Jade Bartlett even got on his radar. Maybe he, you know, was looking at that script to direct, really liked it, didn't have room for his schedule, but told Marvel, Hey. She'll be looking at this Jade Bartlett um, because she's talented. So, yeah, she's going to write Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. We've got, you know, that's going to pair the Sorcerer Supreme with Elizabeth Olsen's Scarlet Witch. And and Benedict Wong is coming back. I'm sure we'll see some other faces. So that was exciting news. Um, Super Intelligence, the Melissa McCarthy heading to HBO Max. This one makes sense. This, you know, I saw the trailer for this, which I, I didn't even realize still hasn't been released. Probably could have guessed uh, that this movie wasn't coming out at, at Christmas, given the fact that there hadn't been a trailer two months before release. Um, but I did see the trailer back at CinemaCon in April, which is six months ago now, and it was bad. It was probably the worst trailer that Warner Brothers had that day. And I didn't realize that it's going to be PG. 
I don't know what other movies were PG that Melissa has done. Maybe Tammy um, or, or the yeah, is that the girls? Wait, what's the Girl Scout one? I can't even remember. <laughs> the Boss. Sorry, maybe that was PG. I don't know, but PG McCarthy is not what I'm looking for. Um, and <laughs> clearly, neither was Warner Brothers. You know, they did a whole story on Deadline, a big interview with with McCarthy and Falcone about this decision to move to HBO Max. And it was like, doth thou protest too much? Like, they're like, oh, it was Ben Falcone's idea. Like, he'd heard about HBO Max and was like, why isn't our movie going to HBO Max? Like, you got a Christmas Day release. Like, it doesn't really get much better than that. Obviously, you know, I don't know that Super Intelligence would have done that well, considering some of the other movies that are coming out around Christmas. But either way, a prime slot for, you know, a, a big studio comedy and... They're saying that it was their idea to to move it to HBO Max. That may be true. I don't know. I have no inside information on this. But it seems like Warner Brothers probably looked at it and was like, eh, do we really need to put a whole marketing campaign beside, behind this kind of another goofy Falcone McCarthy movie? And let's face it, you know, those movies are probably Melissa's worst movies. The movies that she makes with her husband. Uh, you know, people do movies for different things, different reasons. Like, I think it's great that she gets to work with uh, him. Um, you know, if that if that's what she wants to do, but she has to know that she's probably in better filmmaking hands elsewhere. But you know, maybe it's not all about that. So you know, it's, it's about going on the adventure together for them. So super intelligence moves to HBO Max. This is this could be a sign of things to come. Just in general, you know, if studios do feel any reluctance about putting out a movie, now they don't really have to. Before they had no other platform, you know. Unless they went straight to DVD or something like that, straight to video, which is, you know, a death sentence, basically, uh, for all but a few movies. Now they have these streaming services that everybody's going to be, you know, paying attention to. I think this is – you're definitely going to see this with more movies. This is not going to be the last one. And you're already seeing, you know, there are already effects. I mean, just look at earlier this week or the other day, Hannah Minghella, who ran TriStar – Heading to to run Bad Robots Film Division, Nicole Brown's getting up to TriStar. You know there had been reports uh, recently that TriStar was going to be focused on doing some streaming content, uh, or at least starting some kind of streaming division to to, to explore that uh, area. And Bad Robot, meanwhile, signed the gigantic Warner Media deal. So you know, like Warner Media wants to do right by Bad Robot, whether it's opening up. You know, the, the vault and saying, hey, you know, take a look at our library, see what you want to reboot or sequelize. Or, you know, they just want – I'm sure that they promised J.J. and Bad Robot some some movie slots. So now you've got Hannah Minghella, and, and everybody respects and loves Hannah Minghella. Um I still don't know what movies are Hannah Minghella's, you know? Like what are the projects that I'm supposed to associate with her as an executive, like the big ones? Uh, so she, she's definitely well liked and, and well respected in this town. I just don't know, you know, what is her track record? Um, cause it didn't seem like there was much going on at TriStar while she was at the helm. Um, but best wishes to her. I, I, I think she, she's definitely, she, she's got some, some fun space to play with over there at, at Bad Robot, which I'm, I'm sure will maybe even be a little bit busier than TriStar. So it seems like it's a win for her, for Nicole, uh, for Bad Robots. Yeah, I, I like that one. But yeah, the super intelligence to HBO Max thing definitely foreshadowing something I, I think you'll see in the, happen in the industry in, in larger numbers. Elsewhere. New Regency doing a Robert Eggers Viking revenge saga. Oh, my God. It's set at the turn of the 10th century in Iceland. It's got both Skarsgård brothers, Skarsgård, who have not worked together since, I think, 2000, since Bill was like a little kid. It's got Nicole Kidman making it a reunion between her and Alexander Skarsgård. They're all in talks, by the way, all these people. And it's got Eggers... You know, former stars, uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, who is the lead in The Witch, and, and Willem Dafoe, who's in The Lighthouse, which uh, comes out today, which I saw earlier this week, which we will talk about later in the show. That is a pretty cool cast. I like the idea of a Viking revenge movie. I, uh, you know, Eggers, he is definitely not trying to, to please mainstream audiences. I mean, 
between the witch and the lighthouse and now this you know viking movie set in the 10th century whew, this guy likes his his period pieces that's for sure he is a, a a definitely a gifted director i don't know that you know he's had a movie that's really landed for me yet but maybe this will be it i mean i think nicole kidman has pretty good taste in general um so yeah, looking forward to this. I just I am a little skeptical of whether it will ever actually get made. Eggers has set up a couple of studio projects. Nosferatu never really happened. I think he, there was something else that he was developing, and now you know a, a, a movie set you know in, in 10th century Iceland. You got to think of something like The Revenant, and that had a big budget. And I think that this movie, The Northman. Is going to have a big budget, something in the vicinity of seventy-five, eighty million. And if I, if you've seen The Witch or The Lighthouse, I don't know if I, if I was an executive or financier, I don't know how much of a rush I'd be in to finance an eighty million dollar Viking movie led by Alexander Skarsgård from the director of The Witch. That's all I'm saying. If it's not that high, forgive me. You know, maybe they can get this movie made for twenty, thirty, forty million. I don't know. Um, Edgar's films are, you know, generally fairly cheap, and they look great. Like, you know, the cinematography in The Lighthouse is gorgeous. But, uh, yeah, this seems like an expensive proposition. We broke the news earlier this week. Maxim Baldry from Years and Your Years joining the Lord of the Rings TV series. This is something I will probably not be watching in all likelihood. I didn't watch Game of Thrones, really. Um, but Maxim Baldry, you know, seems like a young actor on the rise. People really liked uh, the show Years and Years. Again, I haven't seen an episode. You know, don't really know his work. But uh, that is a big gig for him. So that is cool. Check out that story on Collider.com. There was also news this week on The Matrix 4. Woo! Jada Pinkett Smith in negotiations to return as uh, that helicopter pilot. Jessica Henwick from Iron Fist is uh, perhaps going to play the new female lead. It's an interesting choice. Um, I didn't watch Iron Fist. I'm really not familiar with Miss Henwick's work. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm not surprised they didn't go with the bigger star. Like the Wachowskis have always kind of leaned in that direction. Um, they just want someone who's, who's the best for the role. And I think that Lana yields, wields a, a, a lot of, sorry, wields a lot of power. Uh, and so I don't know whether, you know, Warner Brothers was pushing for this, but it seems like it was probably Lana's choice. And then in the biggest uh, news of the week on Matrix 4, Neil Patrick Harris is in talks to join the cast. You know, there's only two options here. He's either playing someone that we've met or someone that we haven't met, a new character. If he was someone that we had met, I had speculated it would be cool to see him play an older version of Spoon Boy or perhaps a younger version of The Architect. I always had a lot of questions about The Architect. Um, It turns out, though, I think he's going to be playing a brand new character. From what I gather and uh, and other folks in the the office have told me, it sounds like he may be playing the villain. Um, Neil Patrick Harris as the villain. I'll tell you, it's, it's risky. It could go... Either way, like he he could have that kind of just blank, creepy, like just stare that that thousand mile stare. Like he might be, be like a good serial killer or something. I, I, I suppose I don't know if the if the villain in this is going to be like an agent. If he's going to be wearing like a black suit and black sunglasses, like if that's the look, I I think I could see him in that you know doing well with the, in that kind of aesthetic or looking cool at least. But yeah, that'll, that'll be interesting. I, I still have no idea what the plot of, of The Matrix 4 is. I will tell you guys as soon as I find out. Uh, Tony Gilroy joining the Cassian Andor series over at Disney+. Plus. There had been rumors that, that you know, there'd been... I think that there has... Let's, let's be honest, listen. There has been drama, obviously, on the Cassian Andor series, which is why they're bringing in Tony Gilroy in the first place. But uh, yeah, there were some conflicting uh, whispers out there about what the fate of this series m- may be. Disney Plus is, in fact, moving forward. And not only are they moving forward, like, they're spending some money to do so. Tony Gilroy doesn't come cheap. They brought him in to do Rogue One, so it makes sense that they turn to him again with Cassian Andor uh, having a little bit of difficulty. So he's going to write the pilot. He's going to direct multiple episodes. And they're keeping the showrunner on this. Um, so I think that's a positive sign that it wasn't something that they were just, like, looking to blow up uh, with a stick of dynamite. Ryan Reynolds and John Krasinski doing a comedy, Imaginary Friends. This is a weird concept. Uh, It's about someone who can see everyone's imaginary friends. 
the problem is that some of these imaginary friends uh, you know, are, are lonely and they've been neglected. And so they, they turn to the dark side and it's up to him to, to save the world uh, from these imaginary friends. If they're imaginary, how can they affect, you know, real life events? It's a little bit confusing. I'm sure that there's a, a an explanation for that in the script. Krasinski would direct uh, Reynolds would star. Krasinski might co-star. I'm not sure what the whole configuration of that is. But I'll tell you, Ryan Reynolds, man, he may be the hottest guy in Hollywood right now. Everyone wants a piece of Ryan Reynolds, and they are paying top dollar to do so. Um, David Fincher set up his Mank cast. Some interesting names in there. Tom Burke from The Souvenir, which I still have not seen, is going to be playing Orson Welles. This is all about the writing of, uh, of Citizen Kane. Amanda Seyfried has landed the female lead. And... You know, it was interesting looking at Amanda Seyfried's filmography because I was always a fan after Big Love. Like, I think that she can act. I think that, you know, when she's given a real character to play, you know, with some dimension, with some dimension to her, you know, she steps up. Like, look at First Reform. She was good opposite Ethan Hawke. She didn't get the same acclaim that Ethan Hawke did. But I thought she handled herself well. Um, but, man, she has just been in so many bad movies. And I don't know if that's just what's being offered to her or if these are, you know, just the choices that she's making. But, yeah, like looking up her filmography, almost every movie was rotten. Um, it, it has been a, a rough streak for her. And so I was thrilled that she got this. Um, and, you know, like if it was all building towards the female lead in a Fincher movie. And, again, I don't know how big the role ultimately is. But if it was all building toward this, maybe it was worth it. Uh, Joseph Cross is also doing that one. Um, he's he, he's a good guy. I like him. And, uh, yeah, Lily Collins. That's another interesting one. We broke the news this week. Mark Strong is going to be playing Shailene Woodley's mentor in Misanthrope from Damien Zifron, who did Wild Tales. Guys, if you haven't seen Wild Tales, check out that movie. It's an anthology film. A Spanish uh, movie. It's it's great. Honestly, it was my second favorite movie that year. If you're a Tarantino fan like me, you'll you'll love it. This misanthrope thing is a serial killer thriller. Uh, Shailene Woodley's like a new FBI recruit. I don't know. I'm interested. Sign me up. Elsewhere, we broke the news that Christopher Lloyd and Connie Nielsen are going to be playing Bob Odenkirk's father and wife in Nobody. This is another movie that I'm looking forward to from Ilya Nashuler, the director of Hardcore Henry. It's, you know, basically cast Bob Odenkirk as an average Joe. Some thieves break into his house one night, and, and he, he just has this rage uh, that's been building up inside of him, and it finally is unleashed. I like, like, that's a cool premise. Uh, Bob Odenkirk doing something different, that's a cool idea. This is, you know, a smaller project, I think, for Universal that... I, I bet is going to pay off. Um, Christopher Lloyd, I like the Universal's just like kind of like throwing him a bone, like, hey man, you know, we we use Christopher Lloyd a lot, uh, you know, because he's the really the anchor of the the Back to the Future franchise, almost more so than Michael J. Fox. Like, you see Christopher Lloyd, you think Back to the Future. So I like that they're throwing him some work, and Connie Nielsen, obviously, uh, kind of hot right now off of uh, Wonder Woman. She's having uh, a, res- a resurgence. So, yeah, that's cool. We also broke the news that Gabby Hoffman joining Joaquin Phoenix in Mike Mills' A24 movie. Uh, there's some plot details in there as well. Joaquin, I think, is going to play a documentary filmmaker. Uh, she's going to be playing his partner. Um, yeah, Gabby Hoffman, I, I've been watching her since she was a little kid. I, I loved her in Uncle Buck and Now and Then. Um, you know, I, I haven't, I didn't watch Transparent, but I know that, you know, she got, you know, great reviews off of that show and, uh, hey, to do the the female lead in an A24 movie with Joaquin Phoenix, you can't turn that down. Um, A24 also teamed with, uh, Madeline's Madeline director, Josephine Decker on a new movie this week. And speaking of Apple, they are very, uh, insistent that they don't want content that's critical of China. There's a lot going on with China right now, a lot with the NBA, which is suffering some real financial, uh, taking, taking a real financial hit off that Daryl Morey tweet. Um, I, I've got more to say about that one later, but, um, yeah, it, it's, I don't know, man, like. I don't know how in a rush creators will be to come to Apple, you know, if they're going to have to tailor stuff to the Chinese marketplace. But again, then again, just this morning we saw Tarantino's movie got pulled a week before the release in China. That's a huge hit for Sony. That's a that's a tough blow. So they got you know Quentin has final cuts. So they kind of have to hope that Quentin will allow the Bruce Lee stuff to be cut. 
Let's say, Quentin, you know, we, we need to make our money back. There's a lot of money at stake here. Can you just make this, these small cuts that China's asking you to make? I don't know if, China, if Quentin Tarantino will do it. I don't know if he's that kind of filmmaker. He may be like, listen, if China doesn't want my movie, China doesn't want my movie. F- fuck it. Um, but, yeah, I can't wait to see what happens there. And even if he does make the cuts, there's no guarantee that it's going to get another slot. I don't know if it had to do with the violence or the Bruce Lee stuff. You know, there were rumors that Bruce Lee's daughter filed some kind of complaint. Uh, I mean, God, imagine screwing – imagine being so upset about the depiction of your father that you screwed a corporation out of like $100 million or something. Wow. Um, what else? What else? What else? Samara Weaving joining – playing uh, Scarlet in Snake Eyes. This is a project, guys, I'm going to be honest, I have not even bothered to track it. I just don't care. It's the one studio movie I cannot get interested in whatsoever. Uh, I'm like Henry Golding. People may pay to say, see him in a rom-com. Um, I cannot imagine him as Snake Eyes is going to move the needle. This is The G.I. Joe franchise was B-list to begin with, a spinoff of a G.I. Joe franchise. You know, uh, y- you've lost me. Uh, this is a ticket I'm definitely not buying. Um, Samara Weaving, you know, she she's having a moment right now off of Ready or Not. Uh, and I guess, you know, this is maybe a good get for her. Um, but I don't know. I think she maybe could have done better. There's talk about Edge of Tom- the Edge of Tomorrow sequel script being done. Uh, and that maybe after Mission Impossible 7 or 8, Tom Cruise... Uh, is going to start an Edge of Tomorrow's uh, sequel. I, I just don't see that happening, guys. That's one. I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Particularly after uh, Chaos Walking, which, God, I hear you know horrible, horrible things about. I don't know if anybody is going to be in a rush to, to get back uh, into the tentpole business with, with Doug Lyman, particularly on a movie that didn't do that well to begin with. I don't know if it lost money or broke even or whatever. Um, and I liked Edge of Tomorrow, but I didn't love the ending. I, I don't hold it in the high regard that, that most people do. I actually liked Oblivion a little bit more than uh, than most people do, though, so maybe I'm crazy. Uh, the, the law firm depicted in The Laundromat, the Steven Soderbergh movie about the Panama Papers, they sued to try to stop the release of the movie. Guess what? It's out on Netflix now. I'm going to check it out this weekend because it is a new uh, Soderbergh movie. Respect must be paid. Uh, and he also, um, you know, if you haven't seen High Flying Bird, I thought that was pretty good earlier this year. It's one of the better movies I've seen this year. He said, I think, 8 million people have, have watched that. I mean, that's that's pretty cool. That's the power of a streaming service. Uh, although, then again, someone at the streaming service messed up because Alexander Payne was going to be doing a Mads Mikkelsen movie, and they p- pulled the plug like a week before. I think that the, the writer of like the travelogue articles that the film was being based on changed his mind. And and I don't know if there was no contract in place or whatever, but they had to shut down the production like a week out. This is Alexander Payne, guys, who already uh, ran into stumbles on the menu. I don't think he's uh, doing that anymore. So, mm, tough one. Like, when are we going to get Alexander Payne's next movie? Did, did that travelogue writer finally see downsizing? Is that what happened? Uh, the Ankler this week had a, an interesting interview with Luke Besson, like... I don't know. Luke Besson has been accused of some pretty shady behavior uh, by you know more than w- one woman, um, but you know he deserves to have his side of the story told, and he did tell it this week to the Ankler. So uh, check out that newsletter if you haven't. Richard Rushfield does a really good job with that. Uh, ben Zeitlin's Wendy we found out got a date in 2020, so uh, no surprise release date. Before the end of the year for awards consideration, this is uh, the follow-up to Beasts of the Southern Wild for Ben Zeitlin, and it's a, apparently a Peter Pan tale, so that's kind of interesting. I also saw this week, I just so happened to be talking with a friend about the Johnny Depp Biggie Tupac movie, uh, City of Lies, formerly called Labyrinth. We were wondering what the hell happened to it, and then this week uh, there was a little bit of movement on the lawsuit. Uh, I, Johnny Depp is alleged to have assaulted the location manager, I think it was. Um, and so they're still figuring that out. The, the movie is tied up in the meantime, which is unfortunate. I'd love to see it, uh, if at all possible, because that, that sounds like my cup of tea. Kevin Feige got a promotion this week to chief creative officer at Marvel. He's going to be overseeing all kinds of uh, things over there, the comics, the TV shows, the movies. They all wanted to run through Kevin. Uh, they better hope he doesn't get hit by a bus. I mean, we're all knock on wood, God forbid, but I'm just saying that they, they've got uh, – that is a huge company, and it is all resting on the shoulders of, of Kevin Feige. Um, there's some TV news this week. 
I think there's a Grease musical spin-off series called Rydell High in the works. There's also a, cle- a Clueless reboot that's being positioned as a mystery-driven series built around Dion after Cher disappears. Guys, stop. Enough. Clueless without Cher isn't Clueless. Although it is Clueless. Get it? Um, yeah, not a good idea for either one. Nick Reffin uh, doing a Maniac Cop series for for HBO Max. God bless them for getting into this biz- into business with this madman. Too old to die young. Um, you know, I I thought it was fascinating. It was definitely one of the more memorable entertainment experiences of the year. Maniac Cop has been in the works for years. Uh, I thought he was going to do it as a movie. Now he's doing it as a series. I never saw the original Maniac Cop movies, so. Kind of looking forward to seeing what they come up with on that front. Carnage is getting a love interest. Woody Harrelson will be joined by a female villain in uh, in the Venom sequel. I'd heard they're going to have like a sort of natural born killers vibe about them, uh, and that's one of my favorite movies. So that could be interesting. Um, Disney Plus put out a three hour video this week about all the movies, the Disney Channel originals that are coming to uh, Disney Plus. I do not have that, the time to watch this. The memes were hilarious. I love that someone at Disney had to assemble this. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't signed up yet. I, you know, Steve was complaining about, uh, I guess, the press site for the streaming service. And for Apple as well. I haven't been offered access to either one. I'm only uh, the freaking insider over here, but uh, all good. No Apple screeners. No invite to the Blumhouse Halloween party. No invite to Elton John performing with Taron Edgerton, the Rocketman soundtrack. It's okay, Hollywood. It's okay. I'm taking notes. I'm remembering everything. Um, Saw a bunch of trailers this week. The Outsider on HBO looks terrific. Oh, my God. Jason Bateman, Ben Mendelsohn, based on a Stephen King story. Uh, Can't wait for that. And it comes out on HBO in January, so we won't have to wait too long. There was the Apple series, Truth Be Told, with Octavia Spencer and Aaron Paul. Um, Looked, I don't know, looked a little generic, to be honest. But then again, those are two really good actors, and and I, I you know, the, the industry has kind of failed Aaron Paul. You know, I I'm, I bet he was just begging Vince Gilligan to do El Camino. Um, so hopefully, I don't know, he'd make a cool Lex Luthor, Aaron Paul. I don't know. I know he's not a big guy, but uh, he's, he does have that Chrome Dome. I, I don't know. I'll check out that series provided I, I get Apple Plus. I got to work on Apple relations. Um, American Son didn't like this trailer. Didn't like this trailer. Stephen Pasquale. Is, is that the best uh, we can do for this one? Um, it just felt very TV. I know it's based on a play, but Kerry Washington and and Stephen Pascal um, look like they're just overacting. Like they're going, they're both going too big here, both going too over the top. It seems like TV acting, uh, but it's a movie, but it's based on a play. And um, I I'm going to watch this, but. I have my doubts because it's certainly not being promoted like Netflix's other original movies that are coming out this fall. Um, and also the Doolittle trailer, God help us all. I mean, I'm, I'm not seeing this movie, guys. Come on. Who? <laughs> Come on. Uh, Doolittle? No. Robert Downey Jr., this is not what anybody wanted to see from you post, uh, post-Marvel. post He should have anticipated this. Um, shoot. Oh, phone, phone's ringing, but it's just a friend, not a network, so... Uh, promised a couple of reviews at the end of this episode. Watchmen. I saw the pilot. They just sent me the rest of the screeners. I haven't seen them yet. I do have the, I saw the first one. I loved it. I thought it was great. I love the world that Damon Lindelof is, is creating here. Regina King's a great lead. The music by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross was great. So thank you for HBO, uh, to HBO for having me at that one. Um, the lighthouse didn't, yeah, didn't really care for it. Just wasn't my cup of tea. Um, it wasn't bad though. Like it, it held my attention mainly because Pattinson and Defoe are just, they're they are both great. Like they really t- cook up something special here. Um, and and you know Eggers has a gift for for creating a, a time and a place, and and his black and white cinematography is gorgeous. The production design's great, uh, but yeah, it just you know in the end it wasn't satisfying to me. Just like The Witch, it, it kind of just didn't add up to to quite enough for me. I saw the Jay and Silent Bob reboot last night. Went out to see a double header of Strike Back and reboot. I got to say, I had a blast. Uh, it was just fun to spend another 100 minutes with those characters. Jay did a good job. There's real heart in this movie. There's a lot of father-son stuff going on there. It's inspired by Kevin Smith's own uh, you know, heart attack. 
finds Jane and Silent Bob sort of taking stock of their lives and, of course, you know, making time to, to smoke some weed and, and uh, <laughs> you know, hump, hump some stuff. Uh, I loved all the cameos. Yes, Damon and Affleck in here. Ben Affleck, you know, the, the way that he tweaks his image is hilarious to me. Um, I, I wish we saw more of this Ben Affleck who didn't have to be Ben Affleck, the movie star, and could just be like Ben Affleck, Kevin Smith's old pal from the VSQ days. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a, a beautiful kind of walk down memory lane for me. Uh, I was raised on VSQ. The nostalgia factor is very high, and I'm very glad that I made that decision last night to go out and see that movie. So uh, when, you, when Kevin Smith does roll into your town, uh, check it out, because if you like Strike Back, I have a hard time thinking that you wouldn't enjoy this. It is certainly leagues, leagues better than Yoga Hosers, which, you know, Kevin's my boy. He, he took me into his home to, to record a podcast. Um, it never aired, which was heartbreaking, but I've forgiven him for that. It made it that much more special. And uh, and he knows I, I hated Yoga Hosers, thought it was borderline unwatchable. This this is not Yoga Hosers. It was, it was actually quite fun. Uh, I also saw Bombshell this week, and while the reviews are embargoed, I can't really say much. I can basically repeat my tweet that I, I really, you know, anyone who saw The Loudest Voice is going to have a completely different take on this movie than the people who did not see it. That 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 is pretty much all I can say. The loudest voice I thought was terrific. This is a horror story that what happened inside Fox News and leave it to Blumhouse to find the horror in there. This movie felt a little bubblegum to me and I think you can tell like I, I didn't watch the trailer before I saw it and I went home after the screening and watched the trailer, which is set to the Billy Eilish song Bad Guy. Like that that to me I was like, this is, in fact, a trailer for the movie that I just saw tonight. It kind of captures it perfectly. So whatever you think of that trailer, I, I, I predict will be your reaction to the film. Um, we're almost out of time here, guys. I wanted to say R.I.P. Uh, Robert Forster. Guys, oh, my God. What a great actor. He's just a smooth, classy guy. Everybody liked him. You, you heard the stories. He'd hand out silver letter openers. Excuse me. I just burped on air. I Forgive me. I'm drinking. A, a t- diet tangerine lime drink, and I burped on air, and that's disgusting. <laughs> so I apologize. In the middle of eulogizing Robert Forster, no less. Uh, but Jackie Brown, one of my favorite movies, his turn as Max Cherry, is incredible. And uh, we're going to miss him. It was just weird to get that news on my phone right after watching him in El Camino. Uh, and he definitely delivers one of the best performances in that um, in that film. Um, uh, the rumor of the week this week... All right, I'll give you a good one, guys. I hear that the DC series Stargirl is moving to the CW. That's right. I think they're, I mean, the DC streaming service, it's all being folded into HBO Max, right? I don't know if, it, if it's even going to exist. I, forgive me, I didn't do my homework on that. But Stargirl is without a home. It could go to HBO Max, but I heard that it was good enough. And, and you know, because I, the actors have deals that are structured in certain ways where things can't just go to to, uh, to other streaming services maybe without them their say-so or whatever. But the CW deemed this worthy of airtime. So I'm pretty sure that Stargirl is going to be moving to the CW. And that's possible that the uh, – basically, you know, they're going to have to recut the show – to fit the CW's network's, you know, uh, broadcast standards, uh, because it was, you know, it wasn't made with that in mind. So it's possible that the uncut episodes could air at a later time on HBO Max as sort of a secondary platform once they eventually do start streaming. But yeah, uh, don't be surprised if you hear news that Stargirl is moving to the CW. Um, I wanted to dedicate this episode to my mom. My mom passed away uh, two years ago today, and. Um, yeah, it, 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 it sucks. Sucks losing a parent, losing anybody, really. Um, but uh, mom, mom, most of all, and, uh, and I love her and I miss her greatly. And she would be proud of me, I think. I, I have a new job here at Collider, a new love. Um, and, uh, and yeah, this, this interview coming up, though, uh, is with the Greener Grass team, with Beck Bennett, who I have known since the USC days. When I first came to L.A., I worked at Blumhouse with this kid, John Darden, and John was Beck's roommate at USC. And so when I'd hang out with John, I'd go down to USC and see Beck and see Kyle and, uh, and Chris Lowell. 
um, who's on who's on Glow, and it was kind of crazy. Um, and so Beck is in the studio with with Jocelyn DeBoer, with Don Luby on behalf of Green Grass, uh, a movie that's not going to be for everybody, but if you're a fan of Adult Swim, of, of, of absurdist comedy, I think that you'll like it. But uh, I remember telling my mom that Beck had you know gotten on to SNL, and, and you know she. She actually, you know, would stay up late and watch SNL, and, and she loved Beck Bennett. And so, you know, thank you to Beck for, you know, being one of the many people uh, who made my mother laugh because that, you know, there was no sweeter sound to me than, than listening to, to mom cackle, uh, you know, watching whatever it was, including Beck on SNL. So, uh, mom, RIP, Robert Forster, RIP, stay tuned for a 20 minute segment with the greener grass team that movie is available in theaters now it'll be on uh vod i think uh fairly soon as well beck bennett don luby uh and jocelyn DeBoer. thank you bye as teased earlier at the top of the show we are here with the team behind greener grass writers directors stars don luby and jocelyn DeBoer, and actor extraordinaire beck bennett oh, saturday yeah. night live Good to Thank see you, you guys. Thanks for coming in. Great to be here. Oh, Thank you for having us. Here. I'm Jocelyn. Yes. I'm Dawn. <laughs> and I'm Beck Extraordinary. Beck Ben Extraordinary. That's, right. you gotta, That's you my full establish name. Establish the voices at the top of the podcast because yeah. we've got multiple voices here. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, Jocelyn and Dawn, I mean, you know, let's start by telling the folks at home what Greener Grass is all about because this movie is tough to describe. It's it's wacky. It's this bizarre suburban day glow fantasia. I love what you guys have come up with. Laid on. Well, I like your description. Yes, that might yeah, be better good. than ours. Yeah, okay. um, greener grass. It's a satire of suburbia. Um, that's yes, yeah, as simple as it gets. Did you guys grow up in suburbia? Like, where are you from? Um, we did actually. Beck and I grew up very close very to each other. Very close to each other. Um, in suburbs of Chicago. We did. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska, which oh, wow. it's not really a suburb of any <laughs> big city. There's none nearby, but it has a very suburban feel. Yes. Okay, okay so, you, so you grew up in that sort of soccer mom community kind of thing? Yes. yes. Absolutely. I used to play lacrosse at, in uh, Jocelyn's Barrington. suburb, yeah. Barrington. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. My my high school Nutria, we used to play uh, Barrington. Yeah. Who is better? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was it was a pretty good rivalry. Anyway. So how, how long have you guys been uh, working together? Um, so Don and I were actually put on a sketch team together, not by choice. Just you no. put on a team together at the upright. You were forced to. We were forced. Yeah, yeah. Forced to against our will. Yeah. Yeah. Upright mm-hmm. Citizens Brigade, yes, UCB in New York, um, back in 2011. Uh, and then we started working together, just the two of us, in uh, 2015 when we made Greener Grass the Short. Right, okay, so this is a, it comes out of the short film. How yes. m- like, uh, Beck, were you involved in the short film? I haven't seen the short. No, so I wasn't. Made. I wasn't. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, well uh, how, how was it like expanded upon? Like, or, or tell me what the short was about and then how it grew into a feature. Yeah. The, the short was, I would say, more of a series of vignettes. Okay. It was sort of, it started out as a web series. Uh, it n- it never up, was, in, but that was our idea. Hmm. Yes. Our very original idea. <laughs> yes, and yeah. on the drive to set, decided to make it a short. And uh, anyway, the feature really, was a little more like, thought out. You know what, this is not episodic. <laughs> this is one thing, and we're going to j- put it all together this and make a short film. At the time, yeah. we really I mean, liked it. This web series called Catherine, which is by Dean Flesherkamp and Jenny Slate. And I was like watching it the night before, I think we were going to set for the first time. And I noticed that it had a Sundance credit. And they had put it together as Catherine, a story in 12 parts, I think. <laughs> and I was telling Don, listen, they did that. <laughs> um, maybe we could do it. And that is, um, and then so on the drive, we were like, well, there needs to be some kind of conflict. Like, a yeah, narrative. like how do, what narrative can we come up with to string these together? So we like made it that our characters were competitive with each other, but really in the beginning, it was kind of, they were soccer moms and kind of the same character. So, um, so thank you, Catherine. <laughs> was the serial killer element uh, in, like part of it back then? That, yes, that yes. was a part of it. The, in yeah. the short film, the serial killer 
is looks so much like Rodney Dangerfield. You'll see, it, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we went a different direction. With so, the so Beck, what was it about this this uh, character that appealed to you, or made you want to be a part of this uh, world? Um, well, reading the script uh, made me laugh a lot, and it was totally unique and unlike. Uh, anything else I had read so it was just like really exciting it's really exciting when that happens it's like typically when you read something or when I read something I'm like 15 pages in I'm like this is kind of boring and it's like this is like <laughs> not not your script other scripts it's often more often than not it's kind of like oh well, this is kind of like a not as good version of something else that's really great and with with greener grass I just kept like laughing out loud and being like relating to all these crazy situations that like kind of seem crazy but they're not like all these stereotypes of suburbia that i could completely relate to and i mean i've always wanted i mean i love where i grew up but i've also always wanted to make fun of it as much (laughs) as possible and i love all those people and like uh but um so i just thought it was so cool and funny and weird and unique and exciting um and then saw the short and loved it too and um and then yeah i mean I guess about the character specifically, I mean, he's just like a lot of the dads that I grew up with, um, you know, like uh, that, just that specifically, like even the the pool water, mm-hmm. um, my character is really into the the pool water, I guess the new filtration system. <laughs> uh, wonderful. And, and I actually had just, I mean, it's just like, just. I love just the, the, the dad's, playing catch scenes with, with uh, yes, the son. Yeah, yeah, totally. And great. the dad's like trying to. Just get their kids together and being like, yeah, you got to like check out the new grill. This meat is so juicy and like, ah, oh, jump in the pool. Oh, we got this new boat. Ah, oh, it's so great. Like, ah, oh, you get like, I don't know, just these dads, like that dad culture. I just am very familiar with. So I was very excited to play this character. I also uh, had just moved into a house, uh, bought a house in L.A. and we have a pool in the back and we had to like kind of redo it and we made it a saltwater pool oh, and I, like when we made it so i mean it's really just like a new filtration system and i was so excited about it and like when people would come over first be like yeah it's great you can open your eyes under the water and it's like totally fine it's like fresh you don't smell like chlorine uh so i was like oh my god i am this guy i you know you it's, it's like also sorry i'm still going no. the is, you is can that, talk like, about pool water what all i day. what i love is that like it's like i love making fun of this world that i came from i'm like different we're all like we can't like your character is trying to escape it right i, I don't know if i but like try, basically at the end like it's like kind of feeling stuck or whatever and we're all like very far away from where we grew up but there's still things that are a part of you you know what i mean yes. like that's part of your upbringing even like when neil uh neil's character dennis can i say yeah when he's like pulling out the change on the dresser, I don't even think that was scripted, but like, was it? It was, but the level that he took it to. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I was like that. I mean, like, I love that so much because I, st- my dad had a change thing on his oh, dresser, yeah. and too, I right? still, and I have one now, and I'm like, I am, I can't escape it. I am, I'm proud of my pool water. I put change on my dresser, uh, and so I don't know. Yeah, it's just so much of it is it's so relatable. And, I wanted to ask you guys about the unique aesthetic of this film because it kind of reminded me of, of Edward Scissorhands a little bit. Oh, thank um, you. Yeah. you know, talk to me about the costumes and the production design because I thought those were some of the, the film's like strongest uh, tech credits. Oh, yeah. I, well, all, all credit goes to Lauren Oppold, our costume designer, yeah. and Lee Poindexter, our production designer. They are both uh, just geniuses of their fields, and we are so lucky that they did this little movie. Um, but yeah, Edward Scissorhands. I'm glad you mentioned that. That's definitely <laughs> that's something. the first time I've heard that in comparison. Of oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It um, makes, it, makes sense. It's great. Yeah. yeah, we we wouldn't throw around a ton of references when we were talking to our designers because we were kind of like, oh, we just want it to be so wholly original. But Edward Scissorhands was one that we couldn't avoid. So did you guys like come yeah, in with a look? You didn't have like a lookbook or anything, or we, or you did? we had a, um, a, a a collection of visual images, okay. but and um, some of Edward Scissorhands was, in fact, on there. But oh, okay. we also tried to use a lot of, like, photography. Um, like, Gregory Crutzen, for example, is a photographer we love. Um, a lot of, like, late 60s suburbia photographers. Um, Gary Winogrand, Lee Friedlander. Um, 
yeah. And it we just looks just, totally different than, yeah. than any movie I've really seen in a while. Oh, we're so yeah. good. And Lola Mayer, our DP, I should mention, too, <laughs> um, was such a big part of helping us establish the look. Yeah. I, I got to ask you guys about the, the golf carts and the braces. Yeah. So, I mean, how many golf carts did you have to rent for this movie? <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing is that um, we actually un- shot the movie in this town called Peachtree City, which is a suburb of Atlanta, Georgia. Mm. And it's known as the golf cart capital of the world. <laughs> um, it's known. They call themselves. <laughs> um, Nobody else does. <laughs> <laughs> I'm booking my vacation I, I now. Don't really have right. to go. Uh, but it's this planned community from the 1950s where there's 100 miles of paved golf cart paths. And those big scenes, big parking lot scenes, that was actually the high school parking lot on a school day. All those kids, the kids have yeah. golf yeah. carts and they just drive golf carts. Yeah, yeah. it's wild. Um, and yeah, when we were down there doing prep, we would see like in the parking lots all these golf carts parked. And we were in particular looking for pastel golf carts. So mm-hmm. we'd like leave notes and our whole crew was leaving notes in golf carts being like, can we use your cart in a movie? <laughs> We gave ourselves a lot of limitations on this movie, which is, like, there can't be any cars, for example, but it has to be golf carts, but also it can't be a red golf cart, it can't be a black golf cart, it must be a pastel golf cart. Yeah. No adults can have teeth that aren't covered in braces. Yeah, what is so funny yes. about braces? You all have lovely teeth. You all, uh, you know, I assume had braces. Unless you were Thank just you born much. with perfect teeth. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. I, I never like had that. braces. Thank you don't much. What is that's so funny I'm it. Braces. Yeah, braces were a part of the story since the short film. One thing I I love to mention is that when we met Beck, um, of course, Don and I were kind of nervous, and we were like, oh, of course. I hope this goes okay. We all met for a drink, and one of the very first things he did is sit down and um, take out this Invisalign Uh that he had. He was like, look, I have braces too. (laughs) And by the end of the shoot, my, like, they took a mold of our teeth and then, like, sort of, like, basically it was, like, an Invisalign type of thing that they put the braces on and you would pop it in. Yeah. And by the end of the shoot, they didn't fit because I was <laughs> I literally had adult braces <laughs> and my, my teeth were changing. <laughs> so another thing was, like, yeah, this is all very, like, it's not that crazy. Just yeah. braces for adults have changed yeah, and they're invisible yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the braces, I think, first came into the story where – we we loved we really we wanted something that when people opened our web series they instantly knew this was like a heightened world mm-hmm. of some kind and so we were pitching different ideas and then we came to the idea of braces and what we loved about that is braces are such a mess when they're on your face these metal kinds of braces yes, kind of cool. um, <laughs> <laughs> and they're they're so painful Yet they project the promise of future perfection. And we loved the idea that everyone is going through this mess and pain while being like, one day we will be perfect. Did it make it harder for you guys to recite lines? You know, one of the notes we um, our actors loved getting was like, "Okay, um, well, it sounds like you just got your braces, so um, <laughs> to, to be a little more comfortable with speaking." With them. I, feel, um, I feel like my one thing was like I didn't want to to like make it seem like I was showing my braces. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean, and like affecting the performance, but at the same time. Sometimes you did want to see the braces, so yeah, it was just yeah. kind of like that was kind of a fine line to, to walk. Uh, yeah. yeah, I naturally speak where I'm covering my top teeth a lot. Like you see my bottom teeth, but not my top. Now I feel self conscious. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm really watching. But, um, but I remember having to be like, I have to talk showing my top teeth, and in. Yeah. Even when we were like seeing actors audition, we're like, you just don't see their top teeth much. Because I should mention the, um, <laughs> the uh, all the adult, we could only afford top braces. So uh, the yeah. braces were by far the most expensive thing in the movie. So we were always like, show those wow. braces. Gemma, <laughs> um, there there aren't a lot of female directing duos, unfortunately. So do you two plan to continue making movies together? Or are you going to be pursuing solo projects mm-hmm. or? We had a falling out. Wait, We're yeah, not uh, yes, the juice. <laughs> um, we love working together. I know we had someone in, was it in France recently, be like, you two are the first female directing duo. 
And we were like, we are? Like, how is that possible? And then quickly that was fact-checked, and it was not true. <laughs> we are not um, <laughs> But um, the idea that it's not common is so surprising because it's so much easier to work with your friend. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I'm, I am extraordinarily more productive while w- working with Dawn, and yeah. I, I, I'm going to keep doing that if she'll have me. Yeah, the same. I, I think I've gotten more done in the last three years than I have in my life up until that point. No. So. <laughs> and, and back to me, do you feel the same way working with Kyle on, on SNL, having come up together? Like, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, it's, I think it's incredibly important to find somebody that you can uh, just be on the same page with and, like, see a, you know, unique perspective on the world together and push each other and hold each other accountable and make each other better. And, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a huge... Meant a world of difference. Well, I, I, for comedy too, it's uh, like I think all of us kind of came from like improv, you know, sketch background, and yeah. so much of getting jokes to where you want to be them is riffing together. Yeah, so making each other laugh. It's exactly. like that's what we're gonna write. If we're laughing yeah. about that, so it's, it's hard to do that when you're by yourself. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Well, I saw that your colleagues Mikey Day and, and Street are gonna be working on Home Alone and Inspector Gadget. So I wanted to ask all of you if, you, if, yeah. like, if the two of you could. Uh, reboot or sequelize any franchise or you know, one of your favorite films from back in the day what would it be oh my gosh that's so fun good question i have there's this jocelyn knows Wait, what i'm gonna I, say I probably because she's sick of hearing about this but there's this movie i saw as a child that i was obsessed with which um was a ray bradbury short story turned into a movie called the electric grandmother Ooh. and it's <laughs> good, good name i don't know that it was a good movie but it was about this like grandmother who shows up on a front step and she's electric and like at night you plug her in and she like sleeps in a chair <laughs> plugged in and she like shoots coffee out of her fingers and i was just like well this is the best thing on earth uh-huh. <laughs> and so Maybe the electric grandmother. I, <laughs> I think I think Queeby would buy that. Yeah. <laughs> good, good, yeah. Um, Jocelyn, what about well, you? One thing that comes to mind to me is that um, I heard uh, that there was a Sims movie happening. Yes. And um, <laughs> I got very into the Sims. Like, I don't know, late middle school, high school, and um, I I can speak Sim. Uh, oh, what does not Elian is Gillian? That's a Snyder Cut exclusive. And I find that uh, I, I would love to come up with a narrative um, with the constraints of the world of The Sims, and I don't think it's very different than Greener Grass. Right, this is a good um, calling card for that project. Exactly. <laughs> if I was the exec on that, I might hire you guys. Thank, to thank do you, that. thank you. <laughs> and Beck, what about you? Is there oh. something you and Kyle dream of doing together? Oh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, I think that Kyle would uh, reboot something very different than than me. Um, I have not thought about anything that I would want to reboot. The two things that came to mind, first thing that came to mind is not that long ago, and I don't think I would do it as well, would be The Cable Guy for some reason. I just love that movie so much. Uh, If I were to, like, remake a movie that I loved. And then the other one, I guess, would be Big. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Those are just the two that came to mind. Baby sketch that you do. I know it's nothing to do with big. Really, well, a little bit. It's a little, <laughs> big is a little kid in an adult body. Right. So it's kind of it's kind of the opposite a little bit. <laughs> um, we have a few more minutes left. Um, is there anything like that you guys wanted to t- to tell the audience about your movie or why they should see it or you know if you like this maybe you'll like Greener Grass. Oh my gosh. Um, well. You, we're just hoping people come out and see it um, is the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, when, when does it come out? It, it's, it's, it, coming it, out th- it's getting a theatrical release, right? Yes, yes. It comes out this weekend. Okay. So um, October today, 18th. Today, Friday. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. what we will say is it's what, what we hope for, and I, I think it's true, is that it's a very fun movie to see in a theater with with friends all comedies are, are great when you get a laugh with everybody yeah yeah and also because i feel like yeah. there's like a, a weirdness to it so there's like <laughs> kind of like to to be able to like see it for the first time with people and see something unique and be like what are, what are we what is this <laughs> is kind of like what's special about this i think and a lot of comedies like that that can be true if you're laughing a lot but like it's just different so to be a part of that like new experience with an audience i think is really Special do you have this. any aspirations to follow uh, in their footsteps and direct yourself? Um, I do, yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure uh, how soon that'll be, but yeah, I would love to. I got to end it on this question because uh, I got to let you guys go. Uh, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask if you could to say anything about your role in Bill and Ted 3 or what, oh. it, means, what it means to be uh, you know joining that franchise with Keanu. Um, I, it's very, very exciting. Um, uh, I was very excited to play Keanu's brother, Deacon. Um, <laughs> in my mind, we're brothers in real life. <laughs> <laughs> and whenever I could in a scene, I would shout brother to him and reach out to him. Because <laughs> uh, there are many scenes where we're like across a room. And uh, um, yeah, it's it's really exciting. Everybody was so incredibly sweet to work with. Alex was so great. And Dean, the director, Ed, the writer, they were all just so wonderful. It was this really sweet family. Um, so I was just so excited that they let me into the world because again it's like it's it's obviously it's very different than this but bill and ted is is a really unique franchise and the first one's very different than the second one i think that the third one kind of returns to the first a little bit but i just think it's like it's very unique it's it's a comedy but it's also like it's just kind of culty and weird and fun and so uh yeah it's like this movie it's kind of yeah like this <laughs> movie in a way it's a, about these two they're, they're looking for a director on john yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah i mean that's definitely. also our plan for our franchise is for our third movie to come back to the first so i'm glad to hear that that's what they did yeah yeah there you go. guys thank you so much greener grass <laughs> hits theaters uh today so go and check it out don jocelyn beck thanks for coming in that'll thank do it you. for this episode of the snyder cut you can find me on twitter facebook and cameo at at the insnyder have a wonderful weekend, folks. It's that little Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide. You already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at Negative to Positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken, and you know, that's fire. Now, Babu, you know that. You could get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on Negative to Positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast, Podcast One, Spotify. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply.